back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. For the podcast listeners, Josh is playing Alejandro and Lady Gaga. Because of Kirk. I don't know how that's not his walk-up song. I guess he's allowed to pick a song he likes, but feels pretty fitting. Bad feelings this morning around that one, okay? Mm. Take that off the playlist. Okay. We're in a tough spot with uh, the Blue Jays <laughs> right now. Three and a half games back, dropping another one. Every time we talk about a loss, it feels like it just gets worse and worse. It's more heartbreaking. Yeah. Last night was certainly one of them. Bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, no outs. Scratch one. And you don't make it happen. No. Um, we'll have John Morosi in a minute, but we were chatting about the Angels uh, briefly before we're going to bring him on there. Uh, for those that missed it, you know, obviously the Angels decided they're going to buy at the trade deadline. Let's keep Shohei. Well, Shohei has the UCL injury. That's part one. Uh, pretty sure Mike Trout is always injured. Uh, but as of last night, the team has waived Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Dominic Leone, Hunter Renfro, Fro, Ren, Renfro, Renfro, and Randall Grichuk. All of those people, they waived out of the blue, obviously to make some space in their cap. They'll save around $7 million if all the players are claimed. But pretty greasy because those players could have really been pieces for others at the trade deadline. And now they're just floating around in the abyss waiting to be picked up um, by, by anyone. The Blue Jays. By the Blue Jays, let's hope. The team's obviously 11 and a half games out of a playoff spot right now. The Angels, that is. But, I mean, there are some players of interest. And Ross Atkins was on Blair and Barker yesterday and said that, quote, anything we can do to make our team better, we would want to do. So there might be some names that the Blue Jays would try to get their hands on, but the Angels, a little bit greasy to do that, and they're just a black eye on the MLB. Can you imagine this happening in any other sport? And again, I know it happens occasionally with bio guys in the NBA. Mm -hmm. They have a little more say as to where they go, but this is just remarkable. I mean, the Blue Jays, by by the fact that they're not in a playoff spot right now, are going to be in a great spot to claim one of these guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about which one fits best. You know, I don't think it's a pitcher. So you're looking at the two bats there and boy, oh boy, do they need somebody. Yeah. Do they need somebody (laughs) who can get a knock on this team? All right. Well, let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. John, what's going on with the Angels? How can they get away with this? Well, Ailish and Brent, good morning. And uh, as the month of August began, I'm not sure that I expected that on our final conversation of August, we'd be discussing the potential return of Randall Grichick to the Jays via via a waiver claim as the Angels have suddenly become sellers or at least looking to save money here at the end of the month uh, or at least get into the luxury tax. There is a baseball reason for them, for the Angels, to put these players on waivers and try to get their luxury tax number below, uh, which has some implications for free agency and the draft. So I get it, and I understand why the Angels are doing it, even though it is objectively not a great look. Um, And I think for the Jays, it does present some unique opportunities. So I think we will be very curious to see between now and midnight on the 31st, uh, potentially which new players could be arriving, given the Jays' injuries, uh, what they've got right now on on the injured list. Obviously, it's a... it has not been a very auspicious week for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to talk about them in a sec, but I do want to just drill down on these players available. I mean, of that group, Giolito, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Renfro, and, and Grichik, which one, and I'm not talking about help the Blue Jays. If it's helped the Blue Jays, it's clearly one of the two bats. But of those players waived, which player do you think could potentially have the biggest impact on the playoff race or the, the playoffs in general? I, I do think at this time of year, you're always looking for pitching. 
and the number of teams that have had injuries come up or, or might be a pitcher short at this point. Uh, so I, I, my, my focus would go to Giolito just because starting pitching is, is really difficult to find right now. Uh, and, and just given the new rules of the game, you have to be very opportunistic in how and when you can add players in the month of August. So I, I would say is Giolito because of the inherent need for starting pitching. But there are also teams, and the Jays are one of them, who could certainly uh, use a bat, and, and especially a, a couple righty bats there. And maybe there are some clubs that are looking at the postseason and asking themselves, okay, if we're in a playoff series, you're running up against a, a team with a couple left-handed starters who you want to have uh, as an extra bat on, on your bench or in, in your complement of bats. I think that Gritchick and Renfro certainly fit that description. Renfro's been involved in a lot of postseason series in the last several years. So I do think Renfro's playoff experience stands out. But this is a, this is going to be a very interesting couple of days. Of course, Harrison Bader's out there as mm-hmm. well from the Yankees. Carlos Carrasco from the Mets. So uh, there, all of a sudden we've got a, a very – it feels like a, a secondary mini trade deadline here in the next uh, next couple of days, minus the trades. Because, of course, <laughs> the, 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 the team like uh, the Angels, you can't actually get any – players back it's just a matter of salary relief so it's, it's, it's truly a, a market of claiming players and, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds in the next couple of days okay before we move off the angels uh obviously otani uh and his future uh, is going to be something we also keep an eye on he's somehow still able to to get to the plate and hit home runs but obviously won't be pitching for the rest of this season uh, i don't think we've had a chance to chat uh about the contract implications and those are big things that you know will be decided still to come but you look at this team you look at the the loss of Otani and now the loss of all these other players um how do you think this is weighing on him and how do you think that this uh, process will move forward knowing that this team is clearly not going to make a playoff run and they have a big decision to make in this offseason with Otani right it's an excellent question and I really think it's it's one of those that's going to determine a lot that, that happens in the industry here in the in the coming weeks and months. I guess I would say this. If, if you were the Angels and believed that you had a legitimate chance to keep him, you would probably not do this. Yeah. You're, you're, making, you're making this move and this, this, this series of moves because you're trying to save money, get under the luxury tax threshold, and, and position yourself for a leaner, meaner future, if you will, from the standpoint of how your payroll is going to look. I mean, that's, that's why you're doing this. And so, uh, to me, it is one more data point that suggests they are not especially optimistic uh, that they're going to keep Shohei, and if anything, they're planning, planning for a future without him. Um, and, and maybe reaffirms the notion that Shohei, uh, obviously, the, to your point, Ailish, he is somewhat miraculously still hitting and hitting well, which is remarkable. Uh, I, I think it, it really affirms that if I'm Shohei, I'm taking a look at the landscape and saying, okay, I'm going to go to the team that gives me a chance to, A, win, and B, rehab if, if I have to have elbow surgery in the best-in-class health, wellness, medical situation. That, that might be the Dodgers. They obviously are first class in basically every way. And so I, I think that maybe that's where things are trending, or perhaps the, the Seattle Mariners would have a good – uh, statement to make in that area too, but I, I just I don't see many credible scenarios to where the Angels keep them. And I, I want to conclude my Angels point by saying this: I I thought at the beginning of the month that it was the as difficult as it was to, to manage your assets in this way. 
that the Angels were going for. They were trying to do what their fans wanted, and I, I respect that. But at the end of the day, it has not worked out, and, and they are now entering a, a future that is very, very complicated indeed. Yeah, they certainly are. I uh, I commended them for trying to do everything in their power to keep Shohei. If this is kind of the uh, the the final nail in the coffin of that, um, sorry for them. But I still I I know it's crazy to say in hindsight, but I still think it was worth it to push all these chips in uh, to give yourself a chance. And Shohei obviously didn't turn out uh, the way they would have liked. This is a wild question to ask about a guy after I guess five years of his MLB career or six. But what does the injury do to his Hall of Fame? possibilities because I mean we're going to see a big change in the game we've already started to see it you know guys like Jacob deGrom who have these incredibly high peaks but because of injuries don't have the the counting stats that you would expect obviously he's going to be a one-of-one candidacy whenever his time comes up but how do you think the the possibility and again I think we all expect him to come back but who knows what guys are he'll be in his 30s when this happens the possibility of him being done as a pitcher or limited going forward what would that do to his uh, Cooperstown credentials? Well, it's an interesting question, Brennan. And I would say this. First and foremost, you've got to have 10 years of experience to be on the baseball writer's ballot. So you've got to get 10 seasons in, which I, which I think he will. Uh, to your point, it, it won't be necessarily, even when you look at his, his career to this point, he has not been a, an active starting pitcher for the entirety of the, the time since he's been back uh, here in the U.S. So I, I do think that is one thing to keep in mind about the 10-year threshold. I, I'm a big fan of uniqueness, and, and I do think that what he has done is fundamentally historic in the game. And so if he hits 10 years and is especially able to come back and, and pitch again, I, I think that he's getting closer to that status. I would also say that it, with respect to DeGrom, I'm glad you mentioned that case because DeGrom is going to be a very good litmus test for me and for a lot of other voters about how we look at these players with less sample. For me, DeGrom would be out of the Hall of Fame right now unless I see a tremendous closing chapter to his career, like awards, World Series. Because what I would say to you, Brent, is if you look at, um, if you compare DeGrom's career to that of Adam Wainwright, who's going to retire here in the next few weeks, right now he's he's knocking on the door 200 wins, not clearly he's going to get there. But think about the richness of his career. World Series wings, rings one. Um, continued impact over basically two full decades, whose career would you rather have, Wainwright's or DeGrom's to this point? I would say clearly Wainwright, in my opinion, because I, I just value the things that Adam has achieved and, and the consistency with which he has done it as opposed to a real shortage of, of bulk in the case of DeGrom. And again, he can prove me wrong. Jacob can come back and, and find ways to, to get back on that path, but I would rather have the Wainwright career, the C.C. Sabathia career, than a DeGrom career, at least at least in the minds of this this one Hall of Fame voter. We're chatting with John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Uh, okay, so tough day in Blue Jays land, tough little while. Uh, starts yeah. with the best we player. We avoided it as long yeah, as we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starts with the best player on the team. I, I, I was waiting patiently. <laughs> I was waiting patiently. <laughs> starts with the best player on the team going on the I.L. in the morning and ends in a devastating, heartbreaking loss. Uh, Bo going to the I.L., um, talking about the shortstop, third base combination with Matt Chapman out as well. Uh, John Schneider says, quote, it's going to get weird. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get ugly and crazy at times. Great quote. Um, but we saw a little bit of that last night uh, without having Bo for this next stretch and now being three and a half games back from the wild card. 
I mean, I don't want to wave the white flag and say that this is over, but the mountain is a mountain to climb ahead. It is, Ailish. And um, this is this is a situation now where, honestly, it will be a mild surprise if the Jays make the playoffs. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. It will be a surprise if they actually make it. Because as poorly as the Rangers have played of late, you look at the Jays, and, and the algorithms will say what they say about percentage chances, but you have to ask yourself, does, does the algorithm know that, that Bo and Chapman are out for this indefinite amount of time and that the pitchers are, are tired? And as Jeff Blair pointed out on, on Jays talk last night after the game, they're now going to go to Colorado. And, and what a challenge it is to pitch there and then get yourself back and get acclimated to the next chapter of, of your of your season. And, you know, Joe Siddle made the point last night, too, on, on the TV post game about just the inability to the fastball against Mackenzie Gore. If, you, if your lineup is not able to square up Major League fastballs, if your pitching looks a little bit tired, and if you're missing your two of your three or four most productive offensive players, it's going to be hard to make the playoffs, especially when you're staring at a deficit already. It's just you're lining up the, the, the circumstances here, Ailis, and you're asking yourself, where, where is my path? And candidly, I'm not seeing a credible path right now. Now, they, they, could they go on a crazy run and all of a sudden change everyone's mind about this? Of course, that's the magic of baseball and the beauty of sports. But if you're asking, are we seeing signs in their current form that they're about to do that, the answer is no. They're just, they're just not. They're, they're not showing that right now with their current personnel, the way they're playing. Uh, you know, last night was another winnable game that they didn't win. Uh, I, I'm not seeing it. And, and I, I do think that there will be a, a lot of difficult questions asked about the roster, about the way forward, uh, if they do not make the playoffs. And I'm here to say that right now, looking at the circumstances, I do not see them making the playoffs. Yeah, it kind of tells you everything you need to know about this team, that Davis Schneider is uh, the, the heart and soul of it right now. I mean, he was batting clean up the other night. He's batting two. He's coming up in big, big spots, and nobody feels like that's a bad thing for this team. Obviously, an awesome moment for somebody like him, but he's supposed to come, o- come up and compliment your Vladdies and your Bows and your Springers, not be right up there uh, in, in the pecking order with them. You know, something that's jumped out to me in the back half of this season is just the fatigue that's it looks like is starting to set in for these Jays starting pitchers. They've asked so much of them, not in terms of going deep into games, but in terms of walking such a fine uh, tightrope, for lack of a better term, with the lack of run support they've got. You know, we've looked at it as just a Gosman issue at times this year. It's not just been him. They've not been getting much run support regardless of who it is in the back half of the season. And I just wonder about the kind of mental toll that can take on a pitcher, knowing they have to be perfect, knowing, yeah, I'm probably not going to get four or five runs uh, of support in my time out there. And it just seems like that's kind of wearing on the Jays' staff right now. And not that they've been abysmal, but they just haven't been the best staff in baseball like they have the potential to be kind of since the all-star break honestly i agree and the, the mental toll is real uh we talk a lot in baseball about high leverage innings typically we we talk about them in the context of the bullpen but it, it can be true for starters as well they have thrown a lot of high leverage innings and i, I would say this as well that when you look at this group of starting pitchers and and this is i think a very important point to make the jays have been extraordinarily healthy, dependable, reliable, productive with their rotation this season. Compare this Jays group to even the the groups of a great many contenders. 
check out how many different starting pitchers the Dodgers have had this season. There's no comparison in terms of how much the Jays have had to rely on this group and how reliable and dependable they have been, even with Manoa, an all-star a year ago, struggling as he has. So um, the Jays have had it pretty good. They really, if, if we're, we're being honest here, they've had it pretty good for about five months in terms of health, dependability, reliability. Now, of course, it's, it's, it's hit them all at once with the Chapman and the bow injuries, but they've been pretty fortunate for a long time. And, and it really does appear like their, their good fortune is running out. And the reality is, too, they have just not made enough of the good hand that they've been dealt to this point. This is not – they should not be at a spot where they need to sweep series against the Nationals to be able to catch the Rangers for the wild card. Now, this, if, if this season is lost, it was lost at, at various points in the first five months of the season. This, this, they are not in this situation because Alejandro Kirk couldn't score on that, on that fly ball. I mean, that, that was not why they are where they are right now. That was one minute data point in one loss in the final days of August, but this is not the reason why they are where they are. This is actually, I would say, a microcosm of where they are where they are. Uh, one for 11 last night with men in scoring position, nine runners stranded on base. Those are all reasons why. I mean, they're, and that is one data point in a sea of data points that just point to a, a team that has not made the most of their opportunities in, in games. And broadly speaking, this this moment, you look at when the last two teams in your division are named Boston and New York, mm-hmm. and you are not at the top, you have you have failed to make the most of your opportunity. The AL East has been good, but this is not the best of the Yankees, and it's not the best of the Red Sox. When you're the Blue Jays, with the resources that you've got, with, with superstar players like Bo and Vlad in the prime of their careers, Chapman in the last year of his deal before free agency, you should be making much more of this opportunity, and the Jays simply have not. So who's going to take the fall for that? A lot of players obviously need to perform at a better standard. Uh, John Schneider could be making some decisions that I think we can all pinpoint um, are a part of the ripple effect. But are you looking front office? Are you looking organizational? Um, if the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs, which at this point, as you mentioned, would be like a, not really a surprise, um, who's going to maybe not be here next season? So it's a great question. I would say this, that this is not Vladdy's fault, but if, if they decide they want to keep the, the same GM and same manager, which I think they probably will, uh, I see at this point in time no evidence that they're going to totally change the leadership structure of the club. Um, if, if you are going to take that approach and keep your off-field leadership in place and your manager in place, then you have to basically say or, or put it out there that Vladdy is available. And, and consider moving him. And not just, like, say you're going to gauge the interest in him, but put him out there and probably move him. Because there are still going to be enough teams out there that look at him and say, we could do something with his skill set. And, and maybe by trading him, you get a third baseman, you get a center fielder, you, you add in some pitching depth. There is still value for him in the marketplace. It, it, it's remarkable to me that, as, as you point out, Ailish, that David Schneider has become – this revelation for a, for a several Thank weeks. Goodness. Now, will it continue? <laughs> right, right. Will it continue? Is it sustainable? But, but the point is, he brings them something different 
the, the, the rollover ground ball in the ninth inning, yeah. I, I would imagine that there is now a, a all of a sudden this morning in Toronto and across Canada, a run on, on remote controls and technology and screens that have to be replaced because of all the things that were destroyed in that moment last night as everybody was watching that game. So they just, you can't keep going down this path. And, and I would say this, the Jays have to be willing to be bold. They have to be willing to make a deal that doesn't necessarily look right in retrospect because they have to realize, hey, if, if they trade Vladdy somewhere and he goes off and wins an MVP next year, you got to live with that possibility. Like that, that is that is a possible range of outcomes. But you cannot just run it all back with the same guys and the same leadership and the same approach next year. I mean, it would it would not surprise me if they make some at least some coaching staff changes in the realm of of their hitting preparedness because you, you cannot you know never having been a I, I, the full disclosure I was never a professional baseball player but I've watched a lot of games. And all I've ever learned from all the smart baseball people I've been around in my life is that if you are not able to hit the fastball, you are not going to have success in this league over the long, the long haul. And last night was an absolute, you know, number one point that shows that they're just not hitting the fastball right now. And if you cannot square up and you know it's coming, and that was basically all goal was throwing, mm-hmm. that's, that's not sustainable. Like, you've got to change some things up. And when all of a sudden, like, your most dependable guy is someone who arrived from the minor leagues somewhat unheralded in the last several weeks, uh, and you've got one of the most expensive teams that you've ever had as a franchise, something's not right. Like, like you've got to take a real hard look at it. So I, I, I think John Schneider probably comes back. I think you probably make some changes to the, to the staff around him. And I, and I really believe you need to take a serious, and I mean thorough, detailed look at what you can get from Vlad because I think that that's roster-wise, the next most obvious play to make. Well, and you can't you can't make that decision a year from now with just one RB or left, right? I think that's the other right. part of it is that if you're gonna if you're gonna get a team, and I I'm with you as down as we can be on them, I think there are still 20 plus teams across the big leagues that, one way or another, can talk themselves into being really really excited to go trade for for Vladdy. But you want to do that where they say, okay, we got two kicks at the can before we either have to really really pay this guy or reset at where we're at. So that's why it does kind of have to be a this off-season conversation, it feels like, right? Exactly. Now, this is the time to do it. And we have been pointing to this for a while, uh, that, that by now you either extend Vlad or Bo or consider trading one or the other, and we're here now. And there's no more delaying this. There's no more putting it off. It's, it's right in front of you. I would, uh, I've made this point before. Think back. We were having very similar conversations about Josh Donaldson years ago. And, and the Jays never signed him to the long term, and it got uncomfortable at the end, and at the end they got very little back for, for him in a trade. And, and that just cannot be the way that this goes. Um, the, the, the Jays cannot have Vladdy uh, just have his contract run out and his value diminish without, without potentially moving him. I, I think it's a, honestly a coin flip at this point, 50-50 truly, as to whether or not he's on the team next year. I just think, I think there's you cannot just keep running this back and running this back without looking at some ways of changing things up. And I think, too, just getting to be a more athletic team. This is, you know, we now have a full year of, of data as to what the quote-unquote new baseball looks like. And you could have been forgiven for building a team in 2023 that looked like the old baseball, 
But look at the athleticism of teams like Baltimore and others around the game. Seattle's a good example. Um, youth, excitement, energy. The, the Jays don't really have that, and, and it was understandable for 2023. There is no such excuse for 2024. I mean, when you put it the, the way that you did, a, less, a 50-50 chance that maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is back on this team next year and a less than 50-50 chance that the Blue Jays make the playoffs, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, John, hopefully next time we chat, we got a little more than just David Schneider to be happy about. Uh, we will chat with yeah. you next week. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Alex and Brendan. We'll keep talking. And, you know, at some point, if, if we need other other sunnier topics, like the return of the Leafs wing rivalry, that's another one we can touch on at some point. So uh, anytime, my friend. All really right. appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, John. That's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Well, that is a sobering thought. Less than a 50 percent chance Jays make the playoffs, but a 50-50 chance that Vladdy's on this team next year. Well, I hear it's funny and I don't think they should that these two things should be a 100% proposition, but it kind of feels like if they make the playoffs, Mm -hmm. it's because Vladdy heats up and then you're probably not trading him after he has a scorching hot September to get you into the playoffs. That's kind of the way that this is all going to work itself out, right? Vladdy can't... Like, again, this is way too black and white the way I'm painting it to be, but do you want to be a Blue Jay for a long, long time? Perform. Go have a sick September and drag this team, the carcass of this lineup into the playoffs with you. We've seen no signs that that's remotely possible, let alone even likely or anything along those lines. But yeah, it's all right there in front of Vlad. And this has been the, this has been the fork in the road moment we've been looking for with this team. I think for a long time, there was the possibility of what if they're both just exactly what they're supposed to be and you pay them both. And I, I want to be clear. I think the money's there if they both had proved they're worth it. But guess what? Only one of them has done it so far. And it's so clearly Bichette. Um, so producer Danielle always gives us a really great rundown. He does. And I was just taking a look Basically, at something. This is my morning paper. Yeah, I'm going to go home. Go. I've looked at Who it, but I didn't get a chance to really. Well, honestly, I am 79 years old in my heart. <laughs> I would love to sit. I do love to sit outside, Read have paper. a cough in the morning. But now I just scroll my phone <laughs> so it doesn't feel the same. So there's a, a really interesting note on here that I wish we brought up when we talked about the John Schneider quote mm. earlier about not pinch running for Kirk, which we did play at the yes. top of the uh, show. And you've probably heard it if you watch Sportsnet uh, Central at all, but basically saying that they wouldn't traditionally take Kirk out uh, for a pinch runner um, unless it was the winning run. But interesting insight here is this season, this is through Sportsnet stats, so shout out. This season, Kirk has been removed twice for a pinch runner with the Blue Jays down two runs, even though he did not represent the tying run. Both instances came in April, so a long time ago, April 13th, down against the Detroit Tigers, down 3-1 in the eighth inning. Seems familiar. Mm-hmm. And April 19th against the Astros, down 2 nothing in the eighth inning. In both situations, however, Kirk was the starting catcher and Jansen entered as a defensive replacement. So a little bit different, but it is not out of the question that Kirk could have been replaced by someone like Mason McCoy, who came up with the specialty of running. I mean everybody's specialty is running when it's in comparison to Alejandro Kirk. Like, let's just be real about sprint speed and body mechanics and Mm -hmm. all of that. Then you throw in the fact that Schneider mentioned the, well, you need his bat, do you? I know he got the knock. Well, he's no longer due. He got his knock in the game. You think think he's going to get two knocks in a row and back-to-back plate appearances? That doesn't happen on this team unless it comes from Bichette or apparently Davis Babe Schneider. So... (laughs) 
I, yeah, it is dumbfounding. It is frustrating. And these are the moments where, again, I don't think that this team will miss the playoffs because of John Schneider, but I think it is very fair to wonder and not wonder to say that that is not a mm-hmm. world series caliber manager. And if you're not going to fire him, you can also make the argument that there is a lot that can be learned on the job. And I'm not sitting here saying it should be a learning experience. I'd have no problem with changing the manager, but I'm telling you just the way it works. They're not going to fire the manager in back-to-back seasons, unless it is clearly him holding this team back and say whatever you will about his decisions. It's not holding the team back. It's a crab bucket and they're all pulling each other down, (laughs) if anything. Uh, So yeah, not his fault alone, but definitely some blame more than some, a lot to go his way as well. Well, 29 games left for a lot of people to prove their worth for this organization from the top to the bottom. Um, And we will continue bringing it. It feels like you kind of got to go 20 and nine. More or less. That gets Mm -hmm. you 92 wins, 90, 91, 92. That's going to be the ballpark. You're going to have to be in. You're three and a half back now. It's going to all come down to that series against the Rangers. It might not if they just keep limping into that point in time where they're losing handfuls of games. Incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. Well, they're back today at 3 p.m., so you don't have to wait too long. Check them out on Sportsnet now. You don't have to wait too long to see this again. Sportsnet um, as well as Sportsnet 590, the fan, 3 p.m. First pitch, Patrick Corbin and Chris Bassett. Maybe your wake and rake pick is from that. You can send that in at 590, Mm. 590. But let's shift one last time to the most historic day in women's hockey history. Haley Salvin will join us after the break to break down everything new with the PWHL and how this time around it will be successful. That's next on the Fan Morning Show. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty monumental day in women's hockey history yesterday. A couple months away from hitting the ice, the PWHL announced a lot of important information for hockey fans to look forward to. And we'll break it down with Haley Salvian, national hockey writer at The Athletic and host of Hockey Central and Sports at 960. The fan, you can check out all of her articles, which have been very, very helpful for those catching up and those getting acquainted with what's going on with the PWHL. But Haley, yesterday in general, I know we're not players anymore but to be able to kind of share in the success of covering women's hockey um for as long as you did just a a pretty pretty important day that you'll look back on i assume uh yeah it was uh super cool yesterday honestly it was there was over 120 people on the the zoom press conference and i can just remember you know being the one media person at a Markham Thunder game or that's you know, my being team, at World- Haley. That's where we I go know. back to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Um, but, you know, being one or two media members there, you know, I was, it was just myself and Donna Spencer from the Canadian press who traveled to world championships in Denmark. Um, so to see so many people um, from so many different outlets from across this country in the U.S., like really invested in taking the time. And the, the conference went on for almost 90 minutes. Like the Q&A session was, was so long, everyone was really engaged. So that was, that was cool to see. Obviously, you love being the only person around because you get better access. But um, having more people around is going to be great because these women are, you know, exceptional athletes, uh, but also 
really interesting and cool people with great stories to share. Um, so I'm excited for, for more people to get to know them over the next couple of seasons here with, with this new league. So what is the what is the biggest boon in, in the announcement? I mean, like you said yesterday, it's great that it got the attention and the coverage that it did. But is it the fact that there is now, now no longer the competing factions? Is it the fact that the NHL is going to ha- play a part in this? What is the biggest piece of good news on a day where there, there was plenty of it yesterday from, from your perspective? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of good news is just the fact that a league like this exists. And it's kind of like you said, it's it's the fact that there is going to be one league for all the best players in the world. And I know that there is going to be a shrinking player pool going from having the PHF and the PWHPA or having the CWHL and the NWHL. But, you know, that creates a lot of market confusion for people who just want to get interested and involved in women's hockey. Sometimes they're just like, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't deal with this. I've talked to people who are like, I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, hand up. So that's think, been that's been me, Haley. I've been trying yeah. to keep tabs, and it is incredibly confusing. So, yeah, yeah, hand it's up. That's me. Lot. It's a lot. There's different leagues. There's There was an NWHL before the NWHL, and then the new NWHL changed to PHF. <laughs> and what's the PWHPA doing? It's just – it's so much, and it, it almost creates this barrier for entry for people. And now there's just going to be this one league, and it's going to be – marketed the right way they're going to be selling this product to people it's going to be streaming these players are going to be more easy to access you're going to know where the teams are you're going to know who's on the roster we're going to see draft there's going to be signing periods um and i think we're going to see more marketing and sponsorship and and potential broadcast um deals you know i've spoken with um some people who were involved in different leagues over the years. I've spoken with, you know, sponsorship people um, over the last several years. And that was a big piece of it is just the division that was happening in women's hockey. Um, It was like, well, I'm not going to give one league this big sum of money because, well, now I probably need to give to both or, you know, it's not going to be as, you know, valuable for me because there's two leagues or I don't even want to get involved. So I, it wasn't even just the fans that were kind of getting cut out. Like it was some of the money and the sponsorship and the revenue, everything was split. So, you know, I thought that having two leagues would be an okay thing for a time because the player pool was so big and it would show the depth of talent in women's hockey. But for this to truly be successful, I think we're, we're on the right path. And of course, um, there's the right people at the top. I mean, there's never been somebody like Mark Walter at the top mm-hmm. of, of women's professional hockey. I mean, this guy's valuation on Forbes, like $5 billion. He, <laughs> he owns the Dodgers. He's part owner of the LA Sparks and the Lakers and, and Chelsea Football Club. You know, Mark and Kimber Walter, these are, these are big um, business people, big philanthropists, and they, they truly care about making this work. They've got an eight-year CBA, so... Um, the biggest thing for me, and I'm sure we can get into some of the stuff from yesterday, but the biggest thing for me is that this just exists and we're seeing 
you know, how this is going to work next season. And I, and I think it's, it's awesome. So it's going to work in next season, uh, starting in six teams, um, in six locations. Uh, a lot of them incredible hockey markets that have already had women's hockey teams, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Minnesota, New York, and Boston. Um, but with that, there's still some questions, um, arenas, which sizes, how much NHL uh, connection those cities will have. Uh, mm-hmm. but just starting from the top down, why these, cities um i know that there were some others that were considered and and like maybe changed Mm -hmm. um later on in the in the process but i'm really pleased with the original six i think it's a great decision to start in those markets and only room to grow really ottawa was a pleasant surprise right i was moving back there or what all these markets (laughs) and that's what i said i was like should i should i move back to ottawa uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah maybe people listening are being like yes we are sick of hearing you on the radio um but yeah ottawa was a pleasant surprise i thought i think that was one that kind of came in officially towards the end i mean toronto montreal always going to be locked there's no way there's not going to be teams mm-hmm. there those are central hubs you know a lot of the national team players you know the the top players in the world already live in those markets train in those markets big hockey markets we've seen uh support from those nhl teams as well and i think it's important that all six of these teams are in nhl markets um you know when we're talking about things that are exciting or the big picture things that are going to make this work i think the nhl being as involved as they have been have been important and it sounds like they were a pretty big help in finalizing and finishing those original six markets. So um, at certain points during this process, people were thinking that there's going to be a team in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And that would have been cool if they can play at the Bud. That's a great junior hockey town. You know, London would have been kind of fun. But, you know, I, I think the NHL would have come in and said, like, no, that's got to be an NHL market. So Ottawa is going to be exciting. Um, I think they would probably play at the 67s arena and Lansdowne, which is a great neighborhood. Having lived in Ottawa, I really like that area. So that could be fun. I mean, New York, uh, that's going to hinge on where they play. Right. I think um, it's New York City area. But I think, again, that's that's a big hub that'll be a pretty big spot for different media conferences, you know, events, things like that. There's so many NHL teams that can get involved. Um, in Minnesota, there was just no way that you don't have a team in Minnesota. It's the, the state of hockey. They they pack high school hockey games in that yeah. state. There's There are fans in that city and that state are such big supporters of the WNBA. You know, the Minnesota Lynx are typically top in, in attendance figures there. And I think Boston as well is, is really great because – um, they've got a lot of venues. That's a sneaky, great uh, thing about Boston. You know, there's the arena where the BU women's hockey team plays. I believe they're the and only many times. In that arena. Mm-hmm. So, nice yeah. Is it a nice rink? Yeah. Good locker good. room? Uh, so, ooh, I can't remember. Things but like that. Probably good. So looking, like looking at the rinks and obviously, you know, they, they mentioned this as part of the announcement yesterday that that'll be in flux. It's, you know, it might, there will be home games that are not home games because they're played at a kind of neutral site. 
Do you think mm-hmm. that the league has to kind of thread the needle w- perfectly with the sweet spot there? Because, you know, I'm just thinking if they, and you mentioned some of the wonderful junior barns there, the 67s, of course, Bug Garden's a slightly different thing in London, but you mm-hmm. don't want it to look cavernous, right? You want the place to feel packed. I mean, I'm not suggesting that there'd be the 500 people they had or whatever when it was the NHL bubble there, but we remember what those games felt like. Do you feel like the league has to do a good job of kind of walking a line between feeling like the major professional sports league that it wants to become and hopes it is in playing in Scotiabank arena or arenas like that versus kind of having one more tailored to the crowd size. They may be drawing at least initially in, in more junior barns. How do you, how important do you think it is to kind of find the right balance there? It's hugely important. And I would say that that is probably the biggest reason why we only got an announcement on August 29th, mm-hmm. um, figuring out and finalizing the original six markets figuring out where they're going to play. Like those are the biggest things and venues are the hardest part. Um, Cause it's, as you said, you, you don't want to put your teams in, in huge arenas that they can't sell, but you also don't want to put them in too small of arenas and put a ceiling on the amount of fans you can have in the building and your, your ticket revenue, your gate. Right. Um, because when these things are marketed well, and I've always said this, the problem with women's hockey is not a lack of talent or skill or excitement on the ice. Like these games are great. If you sit down and watch one, like, you know, you know, I don't need to try to sell people on it. These are really talented athletes. The problem is people often just don't know that there's a game happening or a league happening or where to go. And we've seen, you know, year over year when games or special events or TV, you know, games on television are marketed and sold properly, people show up. The Seattle Kraken are such a great example of that. I mean, they sold just under 15,000 tickets for a women's hockey game last year for Canada USA. And we've seen people pack buildings in college. We've seen people pack buildings um, you know, for the international game, for the, for women's world championships, Ailish and I were there, you know, those mm-hmm. games were packed in Brampton because people knew where it was and it was best on best. So I think the league does need to thread that needle of finding the right venue sizes. Um, but they also need to make sure that they are marketing this product and making sure that people can buy tickets and get to the venues, finding venues that are centrally located. You know, if we're looking at Toronto, um, this can't be a team that's playing up at York University. It just can't. I'm lazy. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going up there for a 7 o'clock game. So you've got to think, you know, maybe it's at the Ryerson rink. You know, there's a ton of locker rooms upstairs. There's a gym. It's fine. Um Hey, listen, I can relate. It's fine. <laughs> and then there's, you know, the Rico Coliseum, which I don't know if that would work, but you've got to think central so people can get to it um, so you can sell it. And I think if you're going to be in NHL buildings, the one team I think will play in the NHL arena is Minnesota. I think they're going to play at XL Energy Center. Awesome. You probably got to put tarps up in the upper bowl <laughs> and just got to sell the lower bowl. Um, but again, that's going to come down to the people who work for the Minnesota team and the people at the top of the league to sell those tickets and get butts in those seats. Um, last one for you, Haley, here quickly. Um, can you just run down what's next? Because there's a lot of important dates, um, and obviously we don't want to lose the momentum, but a lot mm-hmm. of things to come in the next week, the next couple <clears throat> weeks, um, and then obviously leading up to January. So what do we need to keep our eyes on next as we follow the story of the PWHL? 
Yeah, so the kind of big key dates to think of, one's coming up here on Friday. So on September 1st, this initial free agency window Mm -hmm. is going to open. That's kind of like with the Seattle Kraken expansion draft, you know how free agents had the exclusive signing window before the draft actually happens. I'm kind of looking at it that way. Um, But there's a cap on the amount of players teams can sign. So it's um, teams can sign up to three players in this 10-day exclusive signing window from September 1st until the 10th. Um, On September 3rd, that is the deadline for players to declare for the draft. Um, And then the draft is on September 18th. So there's some exciting things happening in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to have like draft boards and and player lists coming up in a few weeks if people are interested in, you know, hearing more about this extensive player pool who could get drafted where Um, we're going to hear more about the venues in the coming weeks. And we're going to have to wait a little bit because the schedule is going to take some balancing with those neutral site games, with the home games. It's 24 season schedule. Um, so then I think we'll hear about the schedule sometime in October. So okay. lots of things coming up. I will not be um, submitting my name for the draft for those that have messaged You're me. Not? I appreciate the support. I will be supporting on the stand for content. Uh, for content, say, come on. This is a real league. Go up and sit there, Alex. Oh, my God. I was already drafted once, and I'll remember that moment, and I'm not going to uh, uh, erase it with not being drafted and watching 15 <laughs> rounds go by and myself sit there. So I appreciate all the support, but I'll be more of a fan this time around. Uh, Haley, thanks so much for breaking it down. You can catch all of her great work at The Athletic. Um, you've just been absolutely helping everybody keep tabs on this, and there's more to come, and we will definitely chat soon. Yes, sounds good. Thanks, guys. That's Haley Salvian. You can check her work at The Athletic and, of course, a host of Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. Let's hit a quick wake and rake before we say goodbye. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. All right, we got absolutely cooked yesterday, 0-3. Um, can't get much worse, so let's... Uh, Let's go upwards like the Blue Jays, hopefully. A uh, couple anchor picks, but let's get yours in there first. Uh, you guys got cooked. Let's go with the lock of locks in sport. Leo Messi, anytime goal scorer. Big coward bet by me, minus 225. Whatever. I thought about going for twice. You got plus value there. We'll just keep it safe. Anytime goal scorer, Leo Messi, into Miami, minus 225. I respect it. You know what? That's uh, You need a win. You need a win. Sometimes they're not pretty. Um, okay, let's go through the... Uh, Parlay pieces here. Uh, Parlay Poppy, it's been forever. Good to have you. Parlay Poppy is back like spinal cords. I like the Baltimore Orioles on the run line. That's what I was going to pick as well. Let's Mm. bring home the bacon. Don't mind that. Um, Okay, so we've got Brandon from Keswick. Orioles on the run line as well. Brewers on the money line. Astros on the money line. Jays and Nationals first five under four and a half. Okay. The Eric from Burlington. Good morning. I'm taking the Cardinals and Padres over. Uh, Miles Mikolas has been, I'm always like, is it Mikolas? Mikolas, Mikolas has been very average this year. And Rich Hill is almost a senior citizen. Bring me Renfro or Grichik. I don't care. We're already paying half of Grichik's salary. So that'd be funny if we picked up the other half. <laughs> uh, good morning, Corey from Port Hope here for my wake and rate pick. I'll take the over nine and a half runs in the Cardinals and Padres and Big E, Eric in Burlington. Two for three again yesterday. I like four and a half Ks for Bassett. Guardians plus one and a half for the Twins and Brewers minus one and a half. Okay, there's lots 
there. I, I just would like to commend the Eric's in Burlington for fighting over which one of them is the real I one. Love, one I love guy the went fight. full Ohio State. Uh, yeah, I think I actually do like the Eric's pick of Cardinals and Padres over. Nice. We love an over. Uh, and the Padres, uh, say what you will about the dismal team they are, uh, they can hit unlike the Blue Jays. Uh, so they might get there all on their own. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, Cardinals and Padres over? Yeah, let's okay. do it. I'll select that one for you. And, of course, I already said it, and it's got a lot of support. Um, Orioles on the run line. Uh, it's an early game, 105, though, so lock that in. Uh, they're playing the White Sox, and uh, they're one of the best teams in baseball. The Orioles, not the White Sox. Yes. Okay, so if we parlay that up, messy to score anytime. <laughs> Baltimore Orioles on the run line and over nine and a half in the Padres and Cardinals is plus five eighteen. It's still good. Your your right. minus minus money good. bet doesn't hurt because for some reason I'm seeing plus money on the Orioles to be on the run line. So we'll take it. Felix Batista changes oh, yeah, things. It does. We'll just get to, out to an early lead and things will help. Um, fun day today. We went through I'd a agree. lot of things. A lot of lot of things. Uh, you'll be back tomorrow and mm-hmm. Friday, and we do know for sure that Canada will be playing uh, nine thirty. On Saturday morning against Brazil, mm-hmm. as they did beat the Ivory Coast today uh, by 89 to 77. A little bit of a closer one for a while there, but Brazil being able to move forward, Canada will face them on Saturday. Cannot overstate how big that game is. Yeah. Massive. I'm really looking forward to it. And I do have, I bought this Canada basketball jersey mm, with Shea on the love back. That. So I will be wearing that all weekend long. Great. It's a prime. I love that. It's, it's, it's a nice jersey. I have, a, I have like a Canada basketball hoodie. Okay. He always tells me I look so like I'm on the Saturday? team. Yeah, he always tells me I look I like I'm on the team. Is it red? Yeah, it is. I think yeah. I've definitely yeah. seen you wear this yeah. before. Yeah, I don't have a, the biggest clothing <laughs> staple. I'm in here wearing <laughs> my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> um, all right, so Blue Jays back in action today. A reminder, it is a 3 p.m. start on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, it will be Patrick Corbin and Chris. Chris Bassett on the mound. Hopefully they go off on their trip to Colorado with an off day in between on a winning note. We'll be back tomorrow morning on Baby Friday. Chat with you then.